Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Dynasty as they want to be a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Welcome, savages. Oh my gosh, what an amazing moment we had this week. Dame Joan Collins came to Palm Springs and we were there to lap it up. What did you think about her appearance at the Palm Springs well, I, Speak I thought she series? Was especially vivacious and Yeah. You you think like, well, she could just have been doing this forever and how is she gonna deliver? But she does and she do. And the thing is, I think I said this before, like she's not really like fixated on the dynasty years or really any years. Mm-hmm. She, she seems to just sort of touch on all of it and, and have sort of a sense of humor about the all of the projects and characters. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate all of that. So, you know, Joan had a, a cold apparently and that's been going around. It's January after all. But she was like a super trooper. She was there to deliver the goods and like honestly it just felt very sincere like it just seemed like she was happy to be on stage and talk about things like there was no real it wasn't forced and it wasn't a performance even really it was just joan you know with a microphone and i think it only gets a little bit strange when like people start asking questions it's always a little bit of a bummer when like somebody comes out with like some crazy question which like hey look we're all fans so i get it like joan's not prepared for some of that moment yeah your and... fucking inappropriate sex question yeah there was that and or you remember my cousin she met you in 1968 like get the fuck out of here with that nobody remembers that joan is not going to remember who she had a cigarette and a martini no, with in the fall of 1902 she like, shouldn't the yeah. expectation should not be there um but i think that's that's sort of a testament to what people associate like they that's how much people love joan is that you know like they want her to remember those things and they want her to be there for those moments that you know that are in everybody's mind. What was the biggest revelation for you that you may not necessarily have known about that you learned when you heard 
her speak. There was a moment about Cleopatra because I still have never really uh, sort of disentangled what Joan Collins versus Elizabeth Taylor. Right. Where did Joan really end means. and Elizabeth begin? Well, I mean, I think they were sort of on like parallel tracks and they just never met. But they apparently met sort of kind of in this moment. And I'm not really sure like where Joan falls on the map of Elizabeth Taylor. But I like that she kind of mentioned it because I always felt like they had a little bit of a rivalry. Maybe they didn't. And I'm not going to like try to project one if there isn't one. Mm -hmm. However, there are women who were acting at a time and doing very similar things and so it's interesting to hear like Jones sort of talk about you know being in Cleopatra or not being in Cleopatra as it were right well I mean I think she she outright said that she was invited to be on the casting couch and she was like no and that's what separated her and from the lead role that that's actually so you're asking me that original question which i think is where i wind up like i don't i don't really see elizabeth taylor doing casting couch things maybe she did maybe she didn't she's not here to talk about it so i'm not gonna ascribe anything yeah However, i mean we're just going off of uh, you know elizabeth taylor you know made her own way in in many in much the same way that like joan did so I can't I can't really think that that's really what the story was, but that was like sort of interesting that Joan threw that out there. Yes. After the Palm Springs Speaks series with Joan, there was an amazing after party organized by Kiki Tormo. I was excited because like, you know, Palm Springs has like these sort of little like niche moments and this was certainly one and loved every moment of that moment um and you know you got to judge the costume contest i think it was funny that uh it turned out that the claudia blaisdell outfit which i don't even know if that was on purpose i don't think that it was but it doesn't really matter because costume is not about what the clothes are costume is about how you wear them and what you do while you're wearing them it's it's an attitude it's it's a way of being um and so that was like yeah it was just fascinating that somebody had dialed into that moment and yet there were so many people that were just like they're doing the dynasty things so hip hip hooray all right well should we take a break and get into this week's episode all right we'll take a break Tyler, your hair is looking fire. You look like you're ready for a fling with the oil tycoon. Mm. Tell everybody what's going on upstairs. So this is like when you bake a potato, you need that tin foil. Before blow drying my mane, I used Sauce Beauty's Hot Sauce Thermal Protection Spray to keep my hair from going into a frizzy tizzy. Excuse me, did you say hot sauce? Mm-hmm. Sauce Beauty is a delicious new hair care line inspired by the flavors you love. And I love me some hot sauce. I hear that. Sauce Beauty's cayenne-infused heat protector soothes with aloe and argan oil, leaving hairdos feeling soft and smooth. Don't be afraid to bring the heat like Kyler did to his do. Kyler and I are proud that Sauce Beauty is a sponsor of Dynasty as they want to be. 
all their products are clean. That means alcohol, gluten, parabens, salt, and sulfate-free. And Sauce Beauty isn't just for hotheads. Like they you. Have, mm, they have moisturizing shampoos, conditioners, and other hair treatments inspired by guacamole, mm. chimichurri, mm-hmm. and extra virgin olive oil. Mm, virgin. You can find out more at saucebeauty.com. You say potato, I say hot potato. <laughs> welcome back well after last week's kind of stinker of an episode this may be my new favorite episode this episode was bonkers town yeah i almost feel like we were being set up in this prior episode because it was such a snooze fest and then like i was ready to shut the podcast right back in the other direction Yeah. yeah no this was rejuvenating enthralling and the performances were amazing. I mean, even Dr. Taramasu was kind of giving me something. And, you know, he's my least favorite character Well, because now. he was finally relegated to, like, B-plot status where he belongs. And he had scant dialogue and not much to do. And but his that's whole all kind I of needed from him. raison d'etre for being here came back into the picture. And I've his been... reason for being for being here. Yes. <laughs> I, I wondered what was happening with his backstory and why he just glossed oh, over that so no. easily. No, I didn't. I wasn't so... wondering at all. <laughs> but I'm glad that we kind of swung back around on that. So... Yeah, round Wait, of applause. Wait, is that like a really sideways reference to his brother hanging? Um, where do we start? Well, I, I don't know. The problem is, is we know where we finish because that's like what's so exciting about this episode. But you know, you were talking about the acting. I, I have to say, my, you know, my queen, Pamela Bellwood. I'm a little, little like she's edgy i'm not sure i'm liking what's going on and it's not her fault i said this before like they've pushed her like they've like relegated her into this like awful stepford wife crazy person character yes they've completely leaned into the crazy and i i was a little bit jarred by it last week but now maybe that i've had some time to synthesize it I'm kind of into it. So in defense of Pamela Bellwood and Claudia Blaisdell, I think she's dealing with this trauma. And I think the trauma, she's regressed. Um, Her mental health has regressed. Well, obviously, that's what they're going for. And that's what I think she's going for. But I think we finally found the limits of Pamela Bellwood's acting. And that's a shocker for me. (laughs) But this is it's a little bit wooden. And it's like sad because... I all I know it's all because they've unsexed her like and I say that like in the Lady Macbeth way where she's no longer this like powerful goddess of love and you know well, steering she, the plot she can't she's, be and especially now that we have the bodies I've been waiting for the CSI Ecuador evidence so we can finally move on from Matthew and Lindsay. All season long, we've been dealing with this, but we finally got confirmation from a telex, which, you know, I guess is the text message of 82, that their bodies were found. They're actually dead in Ecuador. And I think this is going to, well, obviously it's sending her into even darker places. Yeah, she's really circling the drain at this point. I mean, (laughs) Like we 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 end with her like is she is she not with the baby and then roll credits like a little creepy and they ought to know better than to leave 
you know, crazy Claudia upstairs alone with the baby. In the well, nursery. they were all very indisposed downstairs for the Tennessee Williams true. play that Al Corley was acting in. So I get it. You know, it was an upstairs, downstairs situation. But not like you've ever seen before. Yeah, not not an upstairs, downstairs situation involving the servants, which, my God, Denver Carrington must be doing really well because they've, they've hired an all new staff. staff. But apparently they're all terrible because, you know, they're, now they're serving up burnt bacon and, you know, stale eggs and take this away because I can't eat that for breakfast. Yeah, I was a little surprised. Mrs. Gunnerson doesn't have it together if she's been cooking for Blake all oh, these Mrs. years. Mrs. Gunnerson is, she's like resting on her laurels. I think maybe she just does the night shift and somebody else is doing yeah, the, she's the breakfast. Coast She's just collecting a paycheck at this point. But yeah, they gather all the staff, Tony, Janetta's back, Mrs. Gunnerson, a bunch of old white guys we've never seen before that I guess are butlers to welcome home baby Blake Carrington Colby Jr. This was a, a really fun moment. I thought the direction and the production was great. It was so over the top and it was selling this fact that Blake thinks that the baby is you know a little prince the heir apparent to Stephen keeps well this is like you know it might be obvious to call blake patriarchal you know in the sense that that's normally a derogatory term at least in today's parlance right but actually he kind of really is a patriarch he's a rich father of a wealthy family that controls everything so he's a patriarch yeah one i think he's given up on his kids i mean fallon's a woman as she said way back in season one she's never going to have control of denver carrington you know blake and steven's relationship just keeps getting worse and worse and worse talk about circling the drain yeah that that one's already like ashes in the fireplace but the thing is is blake doesn't look at bringing a grandson home as just a new child in the world this is like oh now i finally have somebody to pass on my empire right it's like a business decision right with or opportunity very patriarchal right the other thing that he does it's like super patriarchal he's always like controlling the narrative and in this episode, you get like two very like literal instances of it. Like he's basically telling Claudia the news from the telex, and he's like sort of narrating this whole story. Well, your husband's dead, and they found him in the jungle. And he's got to be in control, right? And like Claudia's like, yeah, I already knew that. I got a telex too a few days ago. I already knew about all of this, and so it's like it's classic. Like Blake's like going to be the one telling the story, but it's her story, and her story is much more substantial to the point that you know she has nothing left to live for, and she's just gone totally cuckoo bananas at this point. Well, the one thing I will say for Claudia is that she has remarkable healing ability to be shot and then to not be wearing a bandage a couple of days later and have your she even kind of feels around our head because she's not sure which side it was <laughs> I on know she I, forgot. I don't i mean they don't really explain how much time has passed but certainly you would have had to have your head shaved for that sucking procedure that dr linguini was performing the, the bullet extraction procedure yeah um well and the other way that blake is like controlling the narrative is of course like how he dictates to to Stephen about Stephen's you know little gay escapade from LA to Denver and like oh you picked up a, a boy and you bought him beers and you plied him with with liquor and and traveled across the country with him and how do you think that looks you know 
And it's like, but I'm like, but Steven's right there in the room. Steven knows what he was up to the last few weeks or however long this has yeah, been. Yeah, I mean, it didn't even happen within the D- Denver city limits. This is just like more of like, you know, Blake has to be in control and pull the strings. And like, he's, it doesn't matter if it's your story. He's going to tell it his way. And well, I like the fact that we have a character like Steven who constantly denies Blake that power. He's not going to let him. And in so much in this episode, he's like, I would rather stay in this prison prison then have to answer to you and have you bail me out and you tell me what my life is going to be and should be and it obviously reaches a huge boiling point in the end of the episode and he takes that out not just on Blake but the entire Carrington family Carrington Associates Joseph the malicious major domo and the crystal wear what I like most about this episode is in the beginning it's all kind of about breakfast and you know it's like it's morning again at the Carrington man well, the episode does pick up immediately where it left off, which I kind of like when they do that. Yeah, it, it's, it sort of lends a sense of continuity, even though there's like zero continuity in this show. Claudia's bullet ridden head. I like seeing everybody like walking around in various states of undress, you know. Nobody's which, ever undressed on this show except John no, James. No, I mean undress in the sense of like they're not in like they're going out of the house clothes. So it's like right. it's, it's a lot of like glamorous 90s and you know, luxurious penoirs. The men wear dress shirts under their robes. I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, even Joseph, like, you know, I don't know what they're paying this guy, but, you know, I think he's got the... uh, He's outdoing Blake in his dressing gown. I will say the only... And naturally, of course, Blake wakes up in full suit and tie mode. Yeah, He's he's unlike the rest of them because he's, like, ready to go out for some corporate raiding and drill for blood money or whatever he does all day. Or bail your uh, son out for homosexual assault. This won't be considered simple assault. It'll be homosexual assault. You did hit that man, and reason or not, you're going to have to answer for it. But then, meanwhile, over at Alexis's studio... They're having a kinky breakfast of, of pizza and rosé champagne, which I just, you know, I love this. I like, is it sort of a nod to brunch? Is it just, she just felt like having pizza? Is this what it's like when when you're going to bed with Alexis? Like, <laughs> well, sign- the morning after is, is pizza and, and rosé champagne, I guess. Well, sign me up. A nice hot slice is better than uh, a cold one, <laughs> it right? It's shaped like a triangle, right? <laughs> No, I think Alexis explained it. They don't even let her in the house anymore to get a graham cracker. And she don't even like She doesn't even crackers. like those anyway. She's like, screw y'all. Keep your graham crackers and your butter knives. I've got pizza on a silver tray. Love that. Yeah. it's And then she eats her pizza with a fork and knife. It's, it's very kinky for breakfast, for sure. Yeah. I do have to say, seeing her use a fork and knife darked me out a little bit because... I generally find that a good way to figure out if somebody's psychotic or not is if they eat their pizza with a fork and knife. I wouldn't go full psycho on that one. I mean, you know, like Seinfeld famously lampooned this with eating a candy bar with a fork and knife. Right. Which was more about the same lines. Just being ridiculous, not psychotic. So, you know, two sides of the same coin, maybe. We're not sure. But But yeah, we finally have acknowledgement of what we knew was coming. And that's that Alexis has agreed to Cecil's 
20-year-old marriage proposal or whatever. She's, yeah, she's finally going to make good on that one. Yeah, and you know, you can see in her eyes that this is strategy, honey. She's shifted from trying to woo Blake back, and she's going to use all of Cecil's money and power to, to get back at the Carringtons. And I think she likes fucking him, too. Yeah, it's very much implied how much sex they're having. Well, these two get horny on their hatred for Blake, both of them. Yeah, no, they're turning on to this whole like hatred of Blake thing together. He's vile, he's arrogant, and I'd like nothing more than to see him destroyed. Are you serious? Oh, I'm deadly serious. Well, don't you hate Blake Carrington too? I mean, as a business competitor? Isn't anything. Well, put it this way. There's no love lost between me and Blake Carrington. Very, very good. That puts us on the same side, as it were. I think she was about to blast off, like... She was like, tell me more about how much we hate Blake, you know? Well, it made sense why the director was close up on this scene, because I didn't want to see what was going on down below that kimono. (laughs) Well, and sidebar, uh, this is not a look of the week, but as far as morning attire goes, like Alexis is killing it and her very sort of culturally appropriating cheesy kimono thing but it has like the big shoulder thing so it's it's for the times and it's it's on theme as well i I just like what she's what she's got on in the morning better than everybody else yeah when pepe's pizza is delivering a morning slice they're not, you're not gonna wear a robe you know you're gonna a put morning something after nice slice on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing i like about their dialogue here cecil is like getting a little bit literary you know like he drops this like george bernard shaw quote which i actually like the oscar wilde version better uh which is the you know there's two great tragedies in life one is not getting what you want and the other is getting it uh george bernard shaw kind of rephrases it in a way that cecil quotes and i don't think is well cecil's not gonna quote a queer dear well i uh, they didn't look at it that way they were quoting literature and it didn't matter you know we didn't ascribe so much authorial intent to things back then but oh we have to talk about this limo it's so funny because i didn't even think about it you called it out it's you know this this limo like got grenaded like i don't know 10 episodes ago and now it's back. So it's the same make and model, but this is a three-year-old used car at this point. So look, Blake likes it. He's got the money. He took it to the body shop and he got that shit redone. I Well, no, he probably just found another one just like it or I don't know. But, you know, I guess I guess he just wasn't into the boxy Panther body Lincolns of, of 1981. So one thing I'm not into is the introduction of this new character, Susan the Nurse. It felt a little abrupt. Her and Dr. Puccini apparently have some back story, so they run into each other in the nursery, and she's like, oh, I don't really want to go live with the Carringtons and be the baby nurse. I'd rather live in the Toscani house on the hills. And I'm like, bitch, what are you talking about? The Carrington mansion is way better than Dr. Nick's hippie den in the woods. One would think, but here's the thing. Um, They're talking about like, I think Blake even says something. I'm so glad that Claudia doesn't have to go back to the sanitarium. You know, he's talking to like Dr. Nick after, you know, she has her big revelation to them about who shot the gun. And I'm just thinking, no, she's living in the nut house. The Carrington Mansion oh, yeah. is it's a nut for sure house. crazier. It's being run by the inmates. And like as much as Blake might control everything, he has no control over all of the 
crazy shit that's going on in his own house under his own roof. But anyway, didn't you find the introduction of Susan kind of jarring? Uh, you know, there's something about this show that's almost more about the potential than what you actually end up getting on the screen. And I think she's a good example of that because she's played by Christine Belford, who sort of turned up in like commercials at the time. And then I guess she was on you know random shows doing like parts like this basically she and does have a very recognizable I guess she was in christine face. the movie she has a very recognizable oh yes face. that's where i yeah. know her from um i kind of like her here i just don't know what they're doing with her and oh well it's something like she's not set up anything like, good because well, she's no nurse ratchet no mary poppins she's well she's no nurse ratchet either like well she's no mary poppins you can tell she's up to no good but in what way you're not really sure and then turns out maybe she's a MacGuffin because it's crazy claudia that's gonna pick up the baby at the end of the episode like, well obviously for... this baby is not safe something bad is gonna i mean already well, with, all, with all these insane people running around in this house like this baby has zero chance like somebody is is gonna pick the black marble yeah so. i mean i'm getting like kidnappy vibes from her because she has an issue with the one percent every line that she delivers is like i can't believe that this baby's a prince and oh aren't you so lucky you get to live in buckingham palace it's like the baby didn't have anything to do with that yeah she has she has an axe to grind we're not sure what exactly it is but I guess we'll find out in the next episode, or maybe she's just on here for a bit part, and that's that's it. Like that that went nowhere. Or maybe she'll marry Stephen Carrington. Let's talk about nurseries, cannabis. So maybe the brain center in this whole circus tent that these people are living in is this insane, very creepy nursery. In some ways, it's very quintessential, though. It's like full of like chintz prints and baby blue, literally. Uh, but then, like, what's going on with like the insanely creepy stuffed animals, which this child is never going to play with? No. Those animals are going to come to life and haunt that child's dreams every night. And there's a great like sort of like like zoom back with with the camera, and so you like you see one little sort of creepy Humpty Dumpty, but then like he's got a girlfriend Humpty Dumpty, <laughs> and then like there's small duck wearing a bonnet, and then there's a big duck wearing a bonnet. I think there's also a medium and an extra small duck wearing yeah, bonnets. Too. Yeah, it's it's like a whole gaggle of ducks or whatever. A group of ducks would be called yeah um, i mean you thought pennywise from it was creepy Ugh, just go into baby blake yeah clowns nursery. are just level one once we get to ducks and humpty dumpties that's like level 12 or something i don't know and bone chilling this poor child like you know he's doomed just from the way the nursery is is festooned and then you had like the the classic brass swinging crib thing which i feel like was always sort of a little like uh, sudden infant death syndrome kind of like furniture I don't oh know. yeah those have been recalled they They've would like all, give them away on prices right they're all in a landfill like, somewhere like, what's this guy gonna do with a brass baby bassinet whatever like and you got to pay the taxes on those prizes that's the other thing prices right is a trick y'all it is nice to see fallon embracing motherhood we have her and jeff coming back together they're gonna make it work for the baby which is obviously gonna be a disaster but i don't well, isn't know that what we learned from the 70s and 80s that like instead of getting divorced which is a highly an option we can just stay together for the baby which like as we know like 
really never works out but but as uh, fallon says like maybe that's not worse than all the arguments and the fighting we have very dr laura of her sham marriage <laughs> speaking of sham marriages steven confronts his mother after you know his legal altercation and finally gets confirmation that yes alexis paid to send that little tramp sammy joe away yeah, here we are having this like very frank discussion between Stephen and his mother. Uh, but also, this is the same garden that, which apparently Fallon's bedroom window now overlooks. Continuity error. So that yeah, so I mean, it's all very convenient. So of course she can see. Yeah, it was literally like eight or ten episodes ago. She was looking out, and there was a giant tree she used to climb, and now she can see the garden. Which yeah. Is- well, obviously an indoor set. It's, it's always something about like receiving knowledge and how it screws everything up in the fall of man. And and here she is like seeing Dr. Nick and Crystal. And of course, like in classic soap opera logic, like she doesn't really know what's going on. She just sees Dr. Nick kissing Crystal and just assumes, oh, yeah, they, you know, they're stepping out with each other. And- yeah, I think the writers are just tying up all those loose threads with the three-way between Crystal and Dr. Nick and and Fallon. And well, I here's- think we're moving on okay, from that, so which I like. The thing with Crystal in this episode, this is very classic, and I, and I want to dissect it a bit because... Crystal sort of like gets painted as like, oh, this poor put upon woman and like her life is so hard and she's so nice. And why does everybody treat her so badly? Crystal like tries to, you know, console Claudia and Claudia like just totally turns crazy on her. You know, basically she gets bitched out by Claudia over the whole Matthew situation. Well, rightfully so. Yeah, actually, yes, rightfully so. Like, but see, here's the thing. This is how things look versus like what the facts are. Like, Crystal, like, looks like this, like, sweet, nice lady who's just trying to make good. And Claudia looks like a super nut job. But it's like, no, Claudia really should be bitching her out over the whole Matthew thing. Then you've also got, like, Fallon giving Crystal the what for over, you know, Nick Toscani. Look, Crystal, I don't like you around the baby. I can handle him. I don't need my father's wife to help. I'm not going to take this as an insult, Fallon. Because I think I know what's eating you. Has something to do with Nick, doesn't it? Fallon, I was never really involved with him. And I'm not now. And I'm not holding him with any invisible strings. If you've lost him and you want to know the source, just look into any mirror in the house. Like, Crystal really is not as, like, sweet and innocent and unblameable as she might like look at first no, blush. No, she has her bitchy and moments. She, and she, well, yeah, she has her bitchy moments, but like here she just looks so like, why is everybody being so mean to her? And it's like, no, no, she deserves all of this. Like she's just as bad as the rest of them, which is what I love because like, you know, Stephen calls it all, all out at the end, like puts everybody on read, including Crystal. And like, she's no less blameless than the rest of them, but like, don't be mistaken, like by appearances, like she's not the sweet, innocent, you know, woman who got 
dragged in to all of this mess at the Carringtons. Yeah, I loved his monologue. It was very much a callback for me to the dinner party episode from the first season. Or not the dinner party. The birthday party. The birthday party with Jeff calling out everybody for being deplorables. And here we have Stephen doing it. Now, if you recall, Stephen wasn't part of that. He didn't get to go to New Orleans for Cecil's birthday party. So this is his take on that. And now Jeff is is part of it, too. Everybody Jeff has been co-opted. And obviously, we've already talked about like Jeff has like no testicles at this point. So he's just like another smiling buffoon in this crowd. Well, and he's propping up Blake and all of his evil doings as well. Maybe because he has daddy issues himself. But, you know, we haven't really explored that. But what's really disheartening is how Alexis is part of this as well. Because Stephen and Alexis, I think, have had more of a bond but he just breaks it off i with think that's everybody. important to note um how alexis has now been fully grouped in with the rest of these people in steven's eyes um, yeah in steven's eyes but i think also if if you're an audience that was liking alexis this is sort of a moment where you do realize oh no she's she's we all knew she was evil but in a fun way but now she's just like evil in the same way that the rest of these people are and She's being really called out on the floor for her her own hypocrisy, which really applies to all of all of these people. I do like how they all kind of group up though and call Sammy Joe out. Yeah, they really they were not having it with her. Like sh- she was a rejected donor. I almost wonder if I, the actors didn't really like Heather Locklear, and so they were putting it all in. <laughs> Ooh, they there. were jealous. Yeah, I mean, she tell. was the hottest person on the show. The other part about this speech is it's kind of a coming out moment, even though we all know that well, he's had homosexual relationships. It's, it's fascinating to me because I think this was like an entire full blown scene. I mean, this is like five minutes. It was a play. It was yeah. like an act of a play. Yeah. It's they, so they they spent a lot of time on this one issue, which is essentially Stephen says it that he's a homosexual. He is gay, and you know, like, look, I it's this keeps going back to what the writers would say, what they were allowed to say, what the tensions were with producers, and we can't do this or that. I don't know, and like. At the end of the day, all you can do is like assess what's on the screen. Steven says he's gay. I don't know. Like, I think we would all sort of say, like, reclassify him now as like a bisexual character, which I think is great. However, we keep going back to this like problem of. Now, here's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. I feel like his sexuality is also getting mixed up with his relationship with his father. He's kind of using his sexuality against his father because he knows that his father is anti-gay my take on that because blake sets it up in the beginning in that um interrogation room at the police department he sets it up as i don't have to lie he says to steven implying that your life is a lie your life is a lie or because you are engaging in unapproved sexual behaviors you have to lie about it in order to function in society. So to me, it's not Stephen using it against him so much. I think it's more Stephen pointing out that you all are a bunch of hypocrites and I'm gay. And by the way, gay is not lying. Gay is my only truth. Um, and that's why I'm saying it right here and right now. And the rest of you people have way worse things to be lying about in your own lives. So that's how I see that dynamic. I would agree with that. That's a very intellectual approach. I would call it scatterbrained, but... Okay, I'll accept that. You know what really hurts me the most? Is I hate what you all stand for. 
I hate your values, your morals, and your blindness. But I love you. I love you all very much. As much as I appreciate Steven, like, being sort of, like, the moral center all of a sudden, like, where the hell has he been most of this this season? Like, he's sort of just been, like, a just a cheap prop, you know, for Blake and the rest of the family to sort of bounce things off of. But, well, he did get married to his child bride, Sandy Joe. Even that was, like, a prop, you know? Like, he even says, like, I was with boys you didn't like that so i brought a woman home and you didn't like her and well that's what i'm saying with his sexuality i think he's just still trying to either seek blake's approval or be completely defiant of blake the pendulum is uh, always back and yeah, forth it, it remains to be seen if he's like trying things on or if he's I just going now through after that scene in the or? library we are Getting a Steven who is more confident in himself. He's been spending this whole season figuring it out, experimenting, trying different things. I mean, hell, he's been doing that the whole time we've known this character. But I think now that monologue is him putting his foot down against the family and for himself. I think it's a great monologue on its own. However, when you put it in the context of where has Steven really been and why is he suddenly the moral center of the dynasty universe at this moment, at least like I, in a way he's kind of just kind of, he's returned to what he was about 30 episodes ago. Well, yeah, but so that's I'm like, Blake's we just went on this big fault. circular journey. Like, Oh yeah, it's not his fault, but I guess it's everybody's fault. I mean, but at least Fallon kind of has his back, which is nice. So, I'm excited to see what's ha- going to happen because there's just so much drama in the air. You know, we've got this proposal. Uh, it seems like Alexis has some ideas of what she wants her wedding reception to be. Steven is totally against the family. There's an evil nurse next to a crazy woman. There's just so much drama in the camera. I mean, there's definitely mansion. a lot of ingredients, but we'll see if we just wind up with burnt bacon and egregious eggs or (laughs) you know a light and fluffy quiche now it's time for our look of the week this is the part of the episode where kyler and i choose our favorite lurks from the episode we don't choose them they choose us i'm gonna go a little bit off script here Not that we have a script, but, you know, we had some nice looks from Crystal. Alexis served two really great ensembles, but I want to give attention to a little moment that was so delicious and completely unnecessary, and that is the pimp and the hoe in the interrogation room before Blake meets up with Steven. I think... I'm going to give it to the pimp. This tall glass of water. Excuse me. Don't interrupt me when I'm describing a pimp's outfit because I will pimp slap you. You've already gone 12 sentences and I have a lot of things that I think you're dropping stuff that's just assumptions. Like the big one is how do we know that this is a pimp and this is a hooker? Well, this is my interpretation of the scene, but they're in an interrogation room. He is wearing a suit carrying a big white hat he's got like a big flamboyant white pocket square yeah well it's not a pocket it's like square it's, it's square. almost it's... it almost looks like a big flower and you know this man has money because he's got a big gold ring on his finger it almost looks like it could be like brass knuckles or something i don't know what he did but it, it was not 
pleasant to his uh, female companion that well, he was meeting up with. I have to wonder if this was the product of the, the director, because um, I don't even imagine they would have written this into the script. There was no real, like, you know, driving moment from this. But it's certainly there to set the mood, I guess, before Stephen and Blake enter this room. Yeah, um, I guess that was the reason for it. I don't know, but there's like, just so much these would going normally on. Just be extras in a background, but they kind of get their own moment. So, and I forgot to mention the pimp suit is burgundy. It's a delicious shade of red. Well, reddish purple. So yeah, it's interesting because he's in this sort of very like five years ago dressy pimp attire, which it's sort of like pimp dressing, I guess, sort of was frozen in that moment like a shaft kind of a situation yes it's like no pimps can ever dress in current trends after that moment apparently um it's always got to be a wide brim hat and a 1970s-esque suit big old collar right big butterfly collar for sure and on the other hand the merchandise he's selling um which is a very rude way but obviously it's a very rude relationship she is like in this Pat Benatar look. So she's like kind of like way on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, you know, it's like the extreme, almost bad on purpose makeup with the short haircut and, you know, the striped jersey knit, you know, almost tube dress, but not quite. I don't know. It's uh, it's very interesting, these two together in it's a It's not too sexy either because no, she's not, not serving cleavage. There's barely any leg. The dress almost goes to the knee, but it is very like flirty and fun and casual. So I guess if she needed, you needed to access the merchandise, it might be kind of easy. I don't know, to, to take off. That's was my interpretation of it. To be clear, she is not my look of the week. The pimp is my look of the week. What's your look of the week? Really? I think these two together are a look because they kind of need each other. I don't know that we would have noticed this little moment as much if either or both of them had That is so misogynistic of you to say that a prostitute needs a pimp. No, I'm saying that these outfits need each other. Oh, because otherwise they're just sort of a little bit random, but like the two of them are so jarring. I don't know. It's like it's clearly illustrating what's happening in that one small scene. Yeah. You know, so good directing in that sense. Yeah. I mean, there's runners up. Alexis had that great Asian look. But again, when she goes too costumey like that, it doesn't excite me as much. And then at the end, she was wearing that great black and gold number. I just felt like there wasn't enough gold. It just kind of seemed like two sleeves floating yeah, through the Yeah, I was Carrington actually just going to give the look of the week to her arms because... <laughs> yeah, it was all the, about the arms. The gold lame puff sleeves were like doing it for me, but everything else was a little bit... I mean, I like that that um, you know gold cable chain she was wearing, which sort the of The necklace? Like, yeah, which sort oh, of like... Oh, I didn't like that. ...complemented the, the neckline. I thought, yeah, of course it's boring, but it's boring in like in a tasteful, nuanced way, not like in a it-doesn't-do-anything way. But yeah, not not the most exciting looks. I, it's this, this episode is very much about what's happening and not really what things look like. Yeah. So I appreciate I mean, I that. do I do think that for the roast of the Carringtons at the end, everybody looked great. And, you know, we don't see the characters all together, especially like in the same shot a lot. So that was nice and they did look great, but they weren't as exciting to me as the pimp and the hookers two seconds in the interrogation room. So kudos to those extras. I hope they enjoy their accolade for well, us. One thing I took away from your um, your 
call with La Joan is that she apparently was suggesting costume to Nolan Miller and asking to be dressed in certain ways. I used to think she was just being given a lot of love, but I think she just was like, hey, I want to wear this or have this silhouette or I need to be a little more glamorous than Crystal or whatever it might have been that she was saying to them or or whatever they were doing for her based on her suggestions. Who knows? But yeah. Um, like you could, you could tell that here. I mean, out of everybody in the room, she's the one with the most interesting clothes on. Well, that's another edition of Dynasty as they want to be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me again. Bake me a cheesecake and call me Blanche Devereaux. Well, I also want to thank Sauce Beauty for sponsoring our podcast and sponsoring my do yeah next people week, wouldn't quit putting their hands on my hair tonight well you have pretty fucking flawless hair i will have to say i'll let you say it i won't say it because that's tacky okay well i said it your hair is fucking flawless check out our bonus episode on patreon.com slash nasty podcast until next week this has been dynasty as they want to be on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.